Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome to Prophecy Today. I've got 90 minutes. I've got my broadcast partners standing by. They have reports that will look at current events in light of biblical prophecy. May I advise you, I would stay tuned for the next hour and a half, 90 minutes, so we can get this information to you if you're a student of Bible prophecy. This is definitely a need that you have, hearing what's happening around the world and seeing how that aligns with the prophetic scenario found in God's Word. Well, we're here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee, just back from Washington and New York. We were up there producing our next DVD documentary entitled The USA in Bible Prophecy. And we had some great days to film, beautiful sunny days, some windy days, and praise the Lord, he got us out of New York City just before all the snow came. So we honor him for taking care of our production activities. Would you please pray for us? We go now into post-production. That's where we put it all together and we take all the pieces and make them relate the story. Is the United States in Bible prophecy? Or a second question we go after, did God bring America into existence for the purpose of helping to facilitate setting the stage in the world for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled? We'll keep you posted on when the production is completed and when this DVD documentary will be available. Well, Judy and I will leave right after the broadcast going over to Montgomery, Alabama, Lakeview Baptist Church, Pastor Paul Hubbard, he has us there for three days, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, a great time for studying Bible prophecy with everything that's happening around this world. The Lakeview Baptist Church have more about that just a little bit later on in the program. Now we go to southern France, the man who covers geopolitical activities for us, that man, Ken Timmerman is there in that location. It really gives him a great opportunity to, from that vantage point, look at all the events happening, particularly in Europe. He can stay tuned to what's going on in the Middle East and the rest of the world. Now, Ken, you reported last week you were going down to uh, the area where President Trump was going to be, and that was Paris, France, with the 100th anniversary of the armistice there. Tell us a bit about that, and we'll get to the other stories. Well, there are a lot of reports, uh, news reports that came out of that uh, summit meeting. There were over 62 world leaders present. The French president wanted to hold a peace summit. President Trump had other ideas. He thought he would go to the cemetery in Suresnes, in the suburbs of Paris, where about 1,400 American soldiers who died in World War One were buried, and to honor their memory on Veterans Day. Uh, he got dissed for that in the media, but it was exactly what he should have done uh, instead of going to some kind of uh, phony baloney uh, uh, peace summit that would only come out with more hot air. You know, it's so great for us here on Prophecy Today to have a man like Ken Timmerman who covers geopolitical activities. He can do it. He's so experienced and so traveled. But to be on the location that we're talking about when it did happen, uh, that's an amazing thought to me, and we're so grateful to you, Ken, for being able to do that. Let me get into other stories now. Iran has opened a war against Israel and using the Gaza Strip to do that. What do we know? 
Well, this is a major development. You know, there were massive attacks by Hamas early in the week against Israel. First, they attacked a bus with soldiers on it, a civilian bus carrying soldiers, and then they, they launched 400 rockets against Israeli towns and communities. What's interesting about this is that the first video footage of the attacks, Hamas films all of its attacks. The first footage did not appear on Palestinian television, but on a an Iranian channel in Lebanon. So the uh, Hamas was clearly acting at the behest of Iran. The Iranians are trying to suck Israel into a war in Gaza. They want a repeat of what they did in 2006 when Hamas kidnapped an Israeli soldier, Gilad Shalit, and held him for quite some time. But the Israelis committed a couple of thousand troops to try to find him in Gaza in late June of 2006. And two weeks later, the Iranians uh, launched another attack through Hezbollah, but this time in the north, in Lebanon, where they also kidnapped soldiers in a cross-border attack and fired rockets into Israeli communities. That's what Israel is trying to avoid this time. Avigor Lieberman, the defense minister, resigned on Wednesday as a result of the decision by the government to not go to war against Hamas. And Netanyahu, the prime minister, in announcing his decision not to go to war, to respond militarily with all-out force, when he announced that decision, he said, there are security issues that are not public and I cannot talk about. The only one that could be would be the Iranians. Netanyahu is worried, I believe, and Carolyn Glick, who's a very astute observer on the ground in Jerusalem, also believes that uh, Netanyahu is worried of a repeat of 2006, where Israel responded to attacks from the Gaza Strip, committed troops, and then got sucker-punched and got hit hard in Lebanon, and they cannot afford to have that happen again with Iran, first of all, bolder today than it was in 2006, and second of all, with Hezbollah, much, much more massively armed, 150,000 rockets instead of five or 10,000 rockets that they had in 2006. You know, it's an interesting situation going on in the Middle East now since the resignation of Avigdor Lieberman. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu will take over as defense minister, at least temporarily, uh, to try to get through this situation. But I read a headline out of the Middle East that the Palestinians are very pleased, and it was good news for them when the United States renewed sanctions on Iran. Why is that good, especially for them? Well, it's, it's good news for Hamas because it re-cements, reinforces their alliance with the Iranians, also with Russians, by the way, but with the Iranians in particular, because Iran is in a corner. Uh, and as much as they try to claim that sanctions are not having much impact on them, they did that earlier in 2013, 2014, 2015. It simply isn't true. Their currency isn't worth the paper that you would use in the bathroom. Uh, it, it's, uh, sanctions have already had really, really hard impact on their economy, on not just the currency, but on employment. The Iranians uh, are not able to sell as much oil as they were before, so they need partners, and the Palestinians are obviously a willing partner for them. Speaking of the Palestinians and Russia in the same sentence, 
Now, they've stepped up economic ties when Mahmoud Abbas, president of the Palestinian Authority, visited Vladimir Putin in Russia this week. It's a familiar story to our listeners. You have this alliance between Russia and Iran. It's been a down again, up again, but recently it's been up quite a lot. And then you have the uh, Russian alliance with the Palestinians and the Syrians. So Russia is now playing in the Middle East in a way it has not played since the mid-1980s. They have troops on the ground in Syria. They have solid alliances now with Iran and with the Syrian government. And they are reinforcing their relations, not just with Hamas, but also with the Palestinian Authority. So Russia is trying to tell us they are in the Middle East to stay. But I think they're also in the Middle East to support the worst possible actors on the ground, Iran, Syria, and Hamas. And that then brings up the thought that war in Syria has really been a plus for the Russian military. I believe they're there to stay. Do you not believe that also? Well, I I think the Russians now, since September 17th, which is when the Syrian air defense downed a Russian cargo jet with 17 soldiers on board, since then the Russians have doubled down on their presence and they have backed away from their relationship with Israel. Relations between uh, Russia and Israel have become, frankly and openly, hostile since the September 17 shootdown, which was not Israel's fault. Israel wasn't involved in it, but the Russians blamed them for it and have gotten away with blaming Israel for it. So uh, Russia has, just in these past two months, really changed its attitude, changed its approach. It is hostile to Israel instead of cooperating with Israel, and it is increasing its military cooperation with both Syria and Iran. What do you know, Ken, about the vice president, Mike Pence, gearing up for an all-out Cold War with China? I mean, China is probably an aggressive nation today. What do we know about what the vice president's doing? Well, what Pence said, he had an interview with a uh, a left-wing reporter. I don't know why he does this, but uh, uh, he does, and and the president does too from time to time. But he spoke to a guy from the Washington Post who, of course, tried to sensationalize what he said. They were on Air Force Two on a trip to Asia. And what Pence was saying was pretty simple, and I think familiar to our listeners, is that the Chinese have got to change their act. If they want to have good relations with the United States, they've got to change their act. We are prepared to put sanctions on them. We already have put sanctions on them for unfair trade policies, for dumping uh, their products in the U.S. market, for currency manipulation, for theft of copyrights. They steal billions of dollars worth of American software every single year. They just steal it. They just steal it. They do not respect the copyright. And Trump is going to Asia saying, look, Uh, It's time for that to change. We're not going to put up with that any longer. And if that means that we have to step up our sanctions against China, we will. Well, of course, the Washington Post predictably put a sensationalist title, New Cold War, you know, in the offing with China. I don't think that's going to happen. I think the Chinese realize that they've got an awful lot to lose by not cooperating with the United States. We are their biggest export market. We account for over 25% of every Chinese product sold overseas, or we buy 25% of their exports. They can't afford to have bad relations with us, and I don't think they want to. 
Ken Timmerman is key for our understanding of geopolitical activities around the world. He covers the world. He covers the waterfront. Wherever it's happening, Ken is on top of it. Thank you so much for the report, a special exclusive report coming out of Paris with Ken Timmerman reporting. Appreciate it, Ken. We'll talk again next week. Always my pleasure, Jimmy. God bless. Thank you, sir. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, a Middle East news update. David Dolan standing by right here on Prophecy Today. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I'm certainly glad we're not still up in Washington or New York City. Snow falling by the inches up there. And uh, we, of course, just finished up our production on our brand new documentary, is the United States in Bible prophecy? Well, that's the question. The title is actually going to be the United States in Bible prophecy. We'll ask that question I just mentioned, or we'll ask another question. Did God bring America into existence to facilitate setting the world stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled? We had some good production days, both in Washington and over in New York City. Some great footage. You do not want to miss it. I'm going to give you some very important information. And the only possibility that the United States could be in Bible prophecy, according to some, and I would have to say false prophecy teachers, is that New York City is biblical Babylon of Revelation chapter 18. Well, we investigate all of that, and we come back with the biblical answer. 
You'll have to get a copy of the video to understand what my answer is. I'll let you know when we have it ready. Right after the broadcast, Judy and I head down to Lakeview Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama. Pastor Paul Hubbard is there inviting all of you to come to the services on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. That's the Lakeview Baptist Church, Montgomery, Alabama. Well, I promised David Dolan would come to these broadcast tables for the purpose of giving us a Middle East news update. He's here, and let's get it underway. Looks like a very important meeting took place, David, there in Paris when the Prime Minister of Israel and Vladimir Putin, President of Russia, had some talks. Would have loved to have been a fly on the wall to hear what they were saying. But the ties between the two countries are not very good. This was probably a time of trying to make up, do you think? Well, it certainly is significant that they met, Jimmy, although it wasn't a formal meeting. They just sort of passed each other and stopped and talked for a few minutes, but that was more than we were hearing was going to happen. We heard that Putin didn't want to talk to Netanyahu at all. That obviously wasn't the case. Israeli press reports said, Jimmy, that naturally enough, they focused on the situation in Syria. Israeli jets have not flown any operations that we know of over Syrian skies since the Syrian army shot at a Russian jet, a Russian spy plane, on September 17th. So that's been quite a a ways now, two months. And Israel wants to have the right to attack the Iranian positions that are still springing up there, and certainly in Lebanon as well, where Israel issued another warning, actually saying it was their final warning, Jimmy, that they will strike Hezbollah positions in Beirut, in and around the airport, and other places where they know that rockets are being upgraded to high-precision rockets via Iranian supplies. Israel saying they will strike there, but they haven't done that either because this new Russian anti-aircraft system, the F-300, is in operation, and also the electronic jamming equipment that Russia brought in is still there. The Israelis are worried, obviously, about their ability to do anything up there. So that's probably what they discussed. That's what the Israeli media said they did. Whether Netanyahu got any commitments from Vladimir Putin or not, we don't know. But again, the fact that they did at least talk was more than we were expecting, so a sign that something is happening. But still, as you said, a lot of tension between the two powers. Meanwhile, back home and there in Israel, the Israeli Defense Force amassing troops along the Gaza border looking like they could go into a third Gaza war. What do you know? Well, we really had a a second Gaza war, as it were, or a third Gaza war uh, this last week. Uh, Certainly the worst action since 2014. Over um, nearly 500 Palestinian rockets and mortar shells were fired into Israel. The Iron Dome system took out 120 or so of those 500. Others were deemed to not be aimed at any, you know, populated areas, so they didn't bother to intercept those. But, Jimmy, at least 20 rockets did get through the Iron Dome system. Several homes were hit. A Palestinian worker in Ashkelon, a Palestinian from near Hebron who has a worker's permit uh, every week to live in Ashkelon, was actually uh, killed in his bed next to his wife. She was severely wounded when a rocket hit their home in Ashkelon. Fields were hit, roads were hit, and most significantly, the initial mortar attack on an Israeli bus, Jimmy. Fifty soldiers had just been on it. They had just disembarked. One soldier was still loitering right next to the bus. He was severely wounded when this mortar shell hit. 
Hamas filmed it, they put it on the Internet, said it was a great victory. Had those soldiers been killed, Jimmy, then we would be in a full war now. And the only reason we're not is because Benjamin Netanyahu vetoed his defense minister's uh, proposition, uh, Lieberman, who resigned afterwards as a result because of this opposition from the prime minister, um, his uh, desire to go in in a full military way. Some of the Israeli uh, military leaders supported that. Several other cabinet ministers on the security cabinet, uh, especially Naftali Bennett, supported going in. But the prime minister did not. And, Jimmy, the reasons were given unofficially. There no official statement was said to this effect. But was that the Israeli leader, and Benjamin Netanyahu, is expecting war in the north, is expecting that Israel will have to take on Hezbollah and Iranian forces and possibly Russian forces. And this will be a major undertaking and he doesn't want a two-front war. He doesn't want his soldiers actively inside of Gaza and all preoccupied there while this other thing's going on. But many, including Lieberman, who I said resigned over this, now the prime minister just has a majority of one in the Knesset, uh, Jimmy. His government very shaky as a result, with Naftali Bennett also threatening to pull out of the government because he also wants to see stronger action on Gaza. So it's, it's a mess, but the Prime Minister obviously fearing that Israel could not maybe handle a two-front war. Now this, Lieberman and others uh, are saying, is sending a, a signal of weakness to Israel's enemies. There's been a lot of criticism of Netanyahu's stand on this, but he, in a speech in the Negev on Wednesday evening, he said, well, look, I'm the leader, I have the final say, I have to look at the overall situation, and uh, this is the overall situation. So uh, a very bad, tense time. But as you said, the soldiers are still along the Gaza border. Friday there were more protests, not as violent as before, after the Egyptians apparently asked Hamas to tone things down a bit as part of this unofficial ceasefire that ended the rocket attacks. But, Jimmy, they could start at any time again, and the citizens of the South, I know it well. I lived in bomb shelters my first year in Israel, 38 years ago tomorrow, I moved to Israel, and we were under attack from the PLO in the north. Uh, they had their base in southern Lebanon in those years, and it's tough running in and out of shelters all the time and having that tension over you. The citizens of the south are overwhelmingly calling upon the government to take stronger action, but again, the prime minister worried that this will spill over or at least be used by Iran as an excuse to open up an attack in the north one that they expect will be a major, major war whenever it does come. Do you hear what David said, folks? 38 years ago tomorrow, he was moving into Israel to become a journalist, and that experience helps us here on Prophecy Today. Talk to me again about Lieberman, if you will, that resignation. Was it strictly political, or was there any principle behind it? It's thought by most people that it was principled, Jimmy. He's a pretty popular politician, a straight talker. Of course, he's from Russia, and his party is largely supported by Russian-speaking Jews that moved to Israel in the last 20, 30 years. He's a straight shooter, and a lot of people agree with him that if you give any sign of weakness right now, you asked me last week, you said uh, the opponents of Israel are smelling blood, is the way you put it. Well, Lieberman's saying it's because we're not taking appropriate actions to counter what Hamas is doing. And he was against also letting Qatar send money into the Gaza Strip. 
said, why are we bolstering Hamas? We've got to get rid of Hamas. Well, it was Bibi Netanyahu that warned uh, the late Ariel Sharon when the 2005 Gaza pullout took place that the rockets would resume, that there would be continued terror. At the time, the leaders, Sharon and others, said, no, this will end the conflict. It obviously hasn't. Netanyahu was right, and yet he's not taking a right-wing enough or a strong enough stand, many are saying. He was even likened to the Peace Now camp, the leftist dumbish camp in Israel this week by some politicians. But Lieberman, a principled man, but Jimmy, elections are coming anyway in Israel. They have to be held by this month, next year. But in the Israeli system, snap elections could be held at any time, and it looks like we will now have probably in March elections. Netanyahu's leading in the polls, but Lieberman and his party are bolstered very much by this stand, and we'll, of course, have to see what happens in the meantime as well. We'll stay on top of that story with a man with 38 years' experience covering the Middle East for us, David Dolan. And we'll get all the news to you from that very key region if you're a student of Bible prophecy. It's where it's all going to end up, according to the Bible. David, thank you so very much, my good friend. Of course, we'll have you back next week. Thank you, Jimmy. Blessings to you. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Winky Madad is standing by. I'm going to go more into this situation at the Gaza Strip and what's going on and the thing about uh, uh, Vigdor Lieberman resigning. All of this when we talk with Winky Madad in a moment right here on Prophecy Today. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We now move into our second half hour. I've asked you for three half hours, 90 minutes, to give you the world with our broadcast partners, giving us insight into what is going on from a current event perspective and seeing how that fits into the prophetic scenario that is found in God's Word. Well, after we get finished with this broadcast, we head down to Montgomery, Alabama, Lakeview Baptist Church. I'll be there Sunday and Monday and Tuesday. We're going to have a three-day prophecy conference. Paul Hubbard, who is the pastor there, inviting all those in the Montgomery area. And we're heard each and every week, in fact, through the week, with our five-minute broadcast, and then our hour and a half on Saturday, there in what we refer to as Faith Radio Land. So grateful to Faith Radio and what they do for our ministry of getting this prophetic word out to the body of Christ. And, of course, we use our broadcast partners. 
One whose name is absolutely familiar is Winky Madad, longtime broadcast partner with us. And there's some activity that's actually going on in southern Israel that I wanted to talk to Winky about. Happening there at the Gaza border with Israel, Winky, Israel and Hamas in Gaza. But there seems to be another partner with Hamas, Islamic Jihad. Give us the overall view of what is really going on. How dangerous is it? Well, Jimmy, we hope now that a ceasefire that has more or less been arranged through Egypt will hold. But there was an eruption of violence uh, basically over two and a half days. Israel, of course, in addition to everything else it does, has what we call reconnaissance missions in which uh, electronic surveillance or other type of surveillance are infiltrated. Uh, This is not a violent intrusion, but spying and making sure you know what the enemy is up about is part of also the military. Unfortunately, this group was caught as a result of the shootout and the extraction of the uh, group. Hamas and the other Islamic Jihad and some other groups managed to rain over 460 rockets and projectiles and mortars on Israel. Amazingly, Mr. Netanyahu held back from any sort of overt land operation and restricted it to several strategic airstrikes and such. But that, of course, had one fallout uh, that many people felt it wasn't enough. And our defense minister, as of Wednesday, uh, decided to resign. Uh, So for Hamas, that's a victory. And so we're stuck now with perhaps a coalition crisis. Well, I want to get to that in just a moment, but let's go back to that ceasefire, which, as you said, was arranged by Egypt. Is it reality that uh, that ceasefire is going to hold, or actually, before the broadcast is over, they could break it, could they not? Yes, we've had dozens of ceasefires Mm -hmm. ever since 2005. I think the SNS and you, Jimmy, following us over the years, know my opinion that the disengagement of 13 years ago basically was a failure in terms of strategy. Hamas will continue to do what they do, which is either above ground or terror tunnels below ground. They are fixed on wiping out Israel. That They make it very clear. So it's just a temporary interlude, shall we say here. Again, as Mr. Netanyahu said this week, that not everybody is or can be privy to all the information that he has. I think he was also intimating something about Iran, because Iran is basically the supplier of many of these missiles and rockets that come through Egypt, because Israel has uh, good control over the water, and the only border, I think, that they have is Egypt. So I think Mr. Netanyahu was saying, perhaps putting Egypt on uh, alert, saying that, okay, you're in charge of the ceasefire, but it doesn't mean now in two or three days. It means making sure that Hamas does not have the capabilities of being able to launch such a strike before. Anybody who was on social media, perhaps, or maybe was on television, could see the things flying through the, the air and the Iron Dome missiles coming back to counter them. So it was... It was quite scary, and and, and ironically, the one person who was killed was an Arab from just outside of Hebron, 
in other words, what uh, they call a Palestinian Arab, uh, who was a building contractor, and he was killed in his apartment in, uh, I think it was Sterot. Things are very odd and very upside down here in the Middle East. Well, we just had a tour. David James, a broadcast partner with me here on Prophecy Today Weekend, David had a group over there, and as they were coming from a lot, going into Tel Aviv to catch their plane back home, they saw some of the activities in the air, and a very interesting display of the Israeli Defense Force protecting the Jewish people. You mentioned Avigdor Lieberman, who was the defense minister, and he pulls out at a strategic time. I cannot understand that. It has to be completely political on his behalf. But are you sure that that's going to stay, or could he come back, change his mind, and rejoin the government again? I think he has 48 hours from when the letter is handed in, and it might even be up by now, I'm sure. So I uh, but I'm pretty sure, as you said, uh, Jimmy, that it's basically political. Elections have to be held by November next year. In any case, between you and me and everybody who's listening to us, Jimmy, Lieberman has not been the most successful, outstanding defense minister. He came in in a huff saying that he's going to get the, the bodies and our kidnapped soldiers and civilian back within 48 hours, or otherwise he's no more Hamas. That that's nowhere. He hasn't made an imprint professionally or even politically on the defense forces. They've been running him rather than he running them. He's run into some other issues, which I'm not going to go into now. It'll take too long for me to explain. But if he thinks that because Bibi, Mr. Netanyahu, should have gone in, a lot of people are angry at the government for doing that. So he pulls out and He'll come back in another couple months and says, well, I was the guy who wanted to go in. And he might pick up some votes. Remember, or can we remind the listening audience that Lieberman is Russian or origin, or Soviet, actually. I think he's Moldavian, to be correct. But we call that here in Israel Russian. And he has a very locked-in type of a vote. Uh, if they don't believe in him, he's nowhere. I mean, if he begins to lose the Russian vote, who, he has no real native... Israeli vote, uh, so he thinks that he'll come up on top. Uh, but it's still a long way, and I don't know uh, if Netanyahu will hold out. Uh, it just everybody will forget by another year. Yeah, that is a possibility, and that next election is almost uh, like eternity away from this particular time in history. Well, with Avigdor Lieberman's resignation, that leaves the prime minister with only one extra member of the Knesset. There are 120 members. He has 61. The opposition has 59. Could that make uh, the government fall at this time and have to go to elections early? Well, possibly. I mean, two members of the coalition could get sick <laughs> and, and, oh. and not come to the Knesset for a crucial vote. But uh, more importantly, Jimmy, and I know this is sometimes difficult for those who've been listening to us over the years to understand. Israel is a coalition government, and therefore then parties like the uh, the Jewish Home Party, with Naftali Bennett at its head, could uh, sort of uh, uh, extract additional uh, gains from Netanyahu by saying, well, we'll pull out. And, well, Mr. Netanyahu could say, go ahead, pull out, let's see what happens 
you think you're going to get the, the votes that you had last time? I don't think so. So it becomes a game of, uh, uh, I don't know, I'm, when I was younger, Jim, we used to call chicken. Yeah. You know, who's going to get out of the way first while you're driving a bicycle or anything else yeah. down the road? So that what makes, first of all, it makes politics interesting here. It makes it very complicated because the only thing I can tell our American audience is if, like, President Trump actually was head of a government in which there was a, uh, a conservative Tea Party and a liberal wing of the Republican Party altogether. And in fact, if I'm not mistaken, it happened to him <laughs> on the uh, several votes like the uh, health care. Yeah. Uh, when people backed out at the last moment and he didn't come through with a vote. In Israel, that happens almost all the time. Winky, what's the heartbeat of the body politic of Israel? The nation could go to war, possibly, or are they going to just stand by and let the threat keep the Israeli government from doing what they should do? Well, the long-term damage, both politically and actually socially, is that the South is a, a growing population. We're not just talking about some of the small communities that you perhaps visited uh, or the kibbutzim in the area. But you're talking now about Ashkelon and perhaps even Ashdod. And uh, I think about two or three weeks ago, there was a missile launched at Beersheba. Uh, so uh, it's not a question of, oh, it's happening far away from mind and far away from sight. In addition to that, people will begin to ask, are you sacrificing these people? Are, are you keeping them on the, uh, on the borderline without any sort of protection? So these are the issues that could undermine... And I don't know the extent, Jimmy. Mr. Netanyahu's Likud party standing, they were very high about a week and a half ago, and now they've dropped a good few seats in the polls. The polls are polls, but still it does indicate a shift in public opinion or, or feeling about the issue. So I don't know if Netanyahu will go to early elections, or he'll say, well, no, I don't think I have enough votes. We'll just keep on going along and see what happens. Uh, that's a very viable possibility. Let me ask you, Winky, a bottom-line question. Could the Israeli Defense Force wipe out Hamas? And if so, why not? Uh, yes, it could. It unfortunately would entail too many casualties among the Israeli soldiers because it means house-to-house fighting, because we're not like the Nazis or the Russians in several places around the world, or uh, uh, Assad from Syria, in which we don't really care too much and drop bombs all over the place and kill thousands and thousands of civilians. We've been through this before, uh, and several times, in which the, the whole world press and opinion gangs up on us. If God forbid we do have an error in, in an airstrike, which is also always on the on on. You know the agenda because there's human failure, there's mechanical failure. You're you're in a war, and if you hide behind the population, and you purposely plant or uh, place your launchers, launch sites among the population, and you hide among the population, that's what's going to happen. So it's a very difficult situation. Can we do it? Yes, we can send three huge columns across to the Mediterranean Sea, cut off the Gaza Strip. Everybody turns 90 degrees one way, and they begin marching. We have the tanks, we have the air, but uh, I don't think that public opinion or the United Nations would allow that type of operation, although it would clean up the situation. The only thing that we can do now is encourage Gazans who are suffering to 
do away with that Hamas government if they can. It's about time they wake up and take responsibility for their government. Well, this is a story that we're going to have to stay on top of, and Winky Madad will help us to do that. He can give us the report of what's going on and explain all the activities and details behind the headlines. Winky, thank you so very much, my good friend. We're surely going to have to talk again real soon. Jimmy, thank you for having me on, and goodbye to you and our listeners. Very interesting conversation with Winky Madad. That is the Israeli focus on what is happening there at the Gaza Strip border with the state of Israel. So we get that perspective first of all. But now I want to bring to this microphone Itamar Marcus. He heads up an organization entitled PalWatch.org. It's the Palestinian media being monitored by a group of Jewish people led by Itamar Marcus. The reports are that Hamas has been joined by Islamic Jihad working together against the Jewish state of Israel. Why are these two groups working together so closely? Well, these are both terrorist organizations dedicated to the destruction of the state of Israel. They're also both terror organizations that are based primarily on Islam, as opposed to the Palestinian Authority, which is likewise a terror organization and promotes terror against Israel, rewards terror. They are more a nationalistic terror organization with religious components. The Hamas and Islamic Jihad are purely Islamist. They believe that they have a religious obligation to not only destroy Israel, but to exterminate Jews. Hamas talks about, past, about killing Jews as being an expression of worship of God. Uh, so they, they, because they overlap with so much of their ideology, it's very easy for them to fight together against Israel. This thing is intensifying there at the border. Early on, over 400 projectiles fired into Israel from out of the Gaza Strip. I know that number has risen. I don't know the exact number right now, but it's really intensifying, isn't it? Well, right now we're in a ceasefire. What happened was Hamas took advantage of something that Israel sends soldiers in all the time to to try to get information in Gaza, and they ended up with a... uh, uh, being discovered, it led to a little fight. Seven Hamas members were killed, and they started this intense firing. Uh, 400, uh, 400 missiles in 24 hours. So this is something that hasn't happened before, uh, but it seemed like this, they wanted just to send a message because they were willing to stop in 24 hours. I understand that the Hamas television station was destroyed. In fact, I think it was on the air and people could be watching live when it actually happened. And it was close after they played a song entitled Death to Israel. That was quite unique. Yes, we found that was very significant. It was also important because a lot of people around the world, a lot of journalists around the world, were criticizing Israel for taking away their freedom of, uh, of, of expression, their media. And that's why we released that video where the refrain of the song was, death to Israel, death to Israel, death to Israel, bloody death to Israel, etc. It's said over and over and over again during the song. And it's not a news station. People think, you know, they think of television, they think of, you know, CNN, Fox News, one might be a little more right-wing, left-wing, but no one's sitting there telling you to murder other people. Well, that's that's what Hamas television is about. It's, it's constant incitement to murder. Because of that, they have absolutely no 
a right to exist as a television station. You know, I hear reports, Itamar, that Hamas is using human shields, and they're doing everything they can to keep the Israeli Defense Force from really winning a victory there over Hamas in that area. Can Hamas actually win over Israel and the Defense Force? Hamas can't have a victory over Israel, but Hamas, for them, even even killing or seriously injuring one Israeli or even blowing up a bus like they did, uh, an empty bus, really, just the bus driver was on the bus, and he was only lightly injured. Even that, for them, is a victory. Anything that they can do against Israel that, that, that creates fear and pressure in Israel is seen as a victory. Now, in this particular case, the defense minister of Israel resigned the day after they shot the 400 missiles. Now, he didn't resign because he was afraid of Hamas. He resigned because he was upset that the government... Uh, agreed to a ceasefire. He wanted Israel to punish Hamas, that they wouldn't do this again. He wanted a deterrence. So he wasn't leaving because of you know, running away from Hamas. But that's how they've presented it in their media. Hamas is telling their people, look, we, 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 were, we had such a great success that the uh, one day of blasting and the Israeli defense minister had to resign. So this one-day confrontation is going to have a, possibly a long-term effect because if Palestinians buy that line, then the popularity of Hamas is going to skyrocket compared to the Palestinian Authority. Neither one has been popular over the last six months, a year even. Eighty percent of the population thinks Abbas is corrupt, and only 11 percent believe that Mahmoud Abbas, head of the Palestinian Authority, can be believed. So neither side is popular. But if Hamas is perceived as having defeated Israel, they will go all the way up in popularity. Well, what about the Palestinian media? What are they actually saying to the Palestinian people? Now, I know you just reported about Avigdor Lieberman's resignation and how they turned the truth up on its tail. Uh, what about the rest of what they're reporting? Are they continuing to propagandize this whole situation? Well, what's interesting is that Hamas, is celebrating this victory, and they're giving out candies in the streets, and it's been nonstop celebration since since this thing happened, and they're going to keep doing this for a very long time. What was so interesting is we watched, of course, Palestinian Authority, Fatah Television, uh, today, and they didn't even mention the war. It was like it was history. Uh, they want, you know, they were, they had they had regular programming, and again, as I said before, the reason is very simple: they don't want to remind their own people that Hamas had this great victory over Israel. Uh, it was a victory, a symbolic victory. It wasn't a real victory. But they're perceiving it as a victory. So, so the Palestinian Authority is sort of hiding that from their people, and they're pretending that nothing significant happened, and they're just you know, having sports news and you know, their regular general incitement against Israel. Dear friends, those who are eavesdropping on this conversation that I'm having with Itamar Marcus, who heads up palwatch.org there in Israel, monitoring the Palestinian media, I wanted to have Itamar on today to show both sides of the situation, the Israeli side presented to us by Winky Madad, and the Palestinian side with the man who is monitoring all the Palestinian media. I want to wish you God's mercy in your travels to Canada, Itamar. We'll be praying that you'll be an effective communicator there to the Canadian Parliament, and I'm sure we're going to have to get back to you real soon to see what 
The media in Palestinian areas is telling its people, is it truth? Is it simply propaganda? So, Journey's Mercies, as you travel, we'll talk again real soon. Great. Thanks. Good talking to you. Very important information. The Palestinian side of what's going on in the Gaza Strip and the possibility of an Israeli-Palestinian war. But another key region of the world would be the European Union. And John Root is our man living in that part of the world, actually in Brussels, Belgium, for almost 30 years. We go to John right now to find out the latest information. And John, looks like President Trump, when he was visiting France, actually went after Macron over the European army and the fact that uh, Macron, I think, seemed to say, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that they need that army to protect the European Union from Russia, China, and the United States. What do you know? This was a surprising move in terms of the vocabulary. It appears that the statement, as you say, can be interpreted different ways. But uh, he had said that, as we spoke last week, the European army was necessary. This was at the Armistice Memorial that they had. Of course, it's been 100 years since the First World War, the known as the Great War. The European army was therefore the quote was, to protect Europe from Russia, China, and even the United States. So I believe he was referring to, you know, the United States in terms of commitment, not in terms of uh, offense. But leaders of this stature don't put things in the same sentence without this type of knowledge. So again, as we've monitored, Macron has been working towards filling this gap of the leadership when uh, Chancellor Merkel steps down. So more of that, but Macron is facing great difficulties at home. Yeah, he is facing a lot of difficulties at home. I think probably the reason he's bringing up the European Union army, possibly how he's uh, setting himself to be able to play against Donald Trump, which plays with his voters there in France. But I really want to ask you, John, is Macron auditioning this time and with everything he's doing for Merkel's role as somewhat the leader of the European Union as she's stepping out of that role? I totally believe that this is the case, and he is taking a very strong stand. You know, the EU is run by what's uh, referred to as the Franco-German motor. But Germany has always been dominant. But for the moment, there's a vacuum. So Germany will step up, and they have candidates that could be the next uh, European Union Commission president. But he's going to do his best to get in here. And the strategy has been to bash the United States, particularly President Trump. And then these statements from the ceremony just recently concerning nationalism. Now, this is nothing new. The European Parliament Visitor Center, to go in there, one of the very first things you see on the walls are several quotes that are against nationalism. And so the European Union considers nationalism to be the enemy, and therefore we must feel European. Of course, that's been a great uphill battle and has never been accomplished. So he's using this contrast. President Trump has come out to say he's a nationalist. Nothing's wrong with being a nationalist. You're all of the European Union are member, I like to say, member nations rather than member states. So nationalism has become the issue, 
and he's using it, as you say, to bring together the French electorate. Yeah, and to be anti-nationalism, that means that's how the European Union will actually uh, confirm itself as a economic, political, governmental, and military system, which fits right into the revival of the old Roman Empire. That's Daniel chapter 7. One more thought about France. What about the report that 69% up in anti-Semitic activities? I mean, it's increased in this last year, 69%. Uh, That is a real rise in anti-Semitism. Is it because of the Muslim world going into France more than any others of the member states or nations, as you referred to it? That could be a good observation, that the Muslim uh, growing presence in particularly France has created a great deal of religious tension. I would certainly agree with that. At least on a bright side, if there could even be such a thing, the prime minister has uh, recognized, and I would consider at least that these figures are being available. There there have certainly been periods where anti-Semitism has been on the rise. The French prime minister even posted on his social media the Holocaust uh, survivor, uh, Weissel, saying that the real danger, my son, is indifference. And so he's pledging that the French government will not be indifferent. Well, we have read the last chapter, John. We know exactly how it's going to play out. Anti-Semitism will run rampant during that tribulation period. That's why we talk with John Rood about the political in the European Union always sets the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. John, thank you so very much, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. Very good. Important points. We're going to have to take a break right now. And after the news at the top of the hour, David James will join me. He's just back from Israel, his leading of the tour, our recent tour in Israel. And he was there at a unique time. We'll talk about that in a moment, right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We move into our last half hour. I have a conversation upcoming with David James. He has just returned from leading a tour in Israel. I want to talk to him about what he experienced as everything was escalating there at the Gaza Strip. Well, we'll get to David in just a moment. I want to remind you that we have a poll question. It is available at my website. You go to my home page, prophecytoday.com. Scroll down the left-hand column. There you will find it. Here's the question for this week. If the Israeli Defense Force is instructed by the Bible how to fight a war, could the last of three wars that Israel can fight, the one that destroys Amalek, Could that mean that the Palestinian people there in the Gaza Strip could be the ones it's referring to when it says Amalek? Since Amalek was the grandson of Esau, who did become the Palestinian people of today. You might want to look at my materials that I have, a DVD documentary, Esau and the Palestinians. It will help you to understand how we come to this conclusion. 
be sure to answer the poll question on my homepage, prophecytoday.com. There you'll recognize information if you'll look at our schedule. We'll be at the Lakeview Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama this weekend. Pastor Paul Hubbard has invited us for three days, all day Sunday, Monday evening, and Tuesday evening. Come and join us as we study Bible prophecy at this key time in history to understand the prophetic scenario that God has laid out in his word. Again, that address, prophecytoday.com. We now bring to these microphones David James, just back from Israel. And I want you to think about possibly going with David or one of the other of our team, my son Jim Jr., the oldest of our sons, uh, Rick takes tours as well, and I do, and we all sometimes come together when it's a very, very large tour. Uh, but we're so excited that David had the opportunity to be there in Israel, and actually this was his first only him leading the tour time. I mean, I don't know if that's correct English, but it describes the event. He's been there a number of times, but the first time he's led his own tour. Had to remind everybody about that. By the way, we're only about three weeks away from the upcoming Prophecy Today conference here in Chattanooga. That's December 11 through 13. It's at the Spring Hill Suites on the beautiful Tennessee River in downtown Chattanooga. Great place to be. Some sightseeing can be done when we're not in the conference. David, it was a great tour and looking forward to getting together with you for the conference in a couple of weeks. That's right, and we're uh, looking forward to your second segment on taking everyone through all the prophetic scriptures in the Bible, and then my course on graphics and PowerPoint design to help pastors and youth leaders and everyone to effectively communicate the things they learn, plus it's for those who might be designing posters or bulletins for their church or even book covers. Uh, it's going to be a wide-ranging and I think very helpful and practical subject for everyone. David, we want to move our discussion to your recent trip to Israel as well as share with our listeners the overall situation in Israel because the media really does not always accurately communicate the actual situation on the ground. So first of all, you were leading what we call a VIP tour, which is quite a bit different from the larger bus tours that many ministries take, including our own. But the VIP tour are very special. That's right. In these cases, uh, there are just one or two of us who actually do the driving. We do the tour guiding as well as the Bible teaching. And one of the advantages that we have is it allows us to develop more close and personal relationships with those who are on the tour with us, but it also allows us to make adjustments and be more flexible, spend a little more time in one place, maybe less time in another, depending on uh, what works out for everyone. And in this case, as we'll talk about in a minute, allowed us to make some last-minute adjustments that would probably be a little bit harder on a, on a big tour. So there are advantages to both kinds, but we would certainly consider having people join us on one of the smaller Uh, more personalized tours. And if you want more information about our tours, we do about eight a year. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to Joshua Travel, all the information, the dates, the itinerary, the cost, everything you need to know. That's prophecytoday.com, and then go over to Joshua Travel. David, last week we touched on this as well, but having been a Bible teacher for over 30 years, 
How do you think leading a tour like this will affect your overall teaching ministry going forward? Well, I think one of the things is uh, developing a 3D uh, perspective in the, of the country. And what I mean by that, pictures and even uh, video does not do justice to just some of the harsh living conditions and some of the things that people went through. For example, the absolute stark reality of what it meant for the children of Israel to wander in the desert for 40 years, what it meant to go up through the mountains of Moab and make their way to the, on the east side of the Jordan River, preparing to cross into the Promised Land. Formidable mountains. The walking distance, for example, from Jerusalem to uh, the Galilee, and even the northern Galilee up at Caesarea Philippi, and, for example, visiting the uh, Wadi Kelt, where we see the actual path that was taken from the Jordan River up to Jerusalem, something David referred to this as the Valley of the Shadow of Death. It just really brings everything to life and and will definitely be a, a positive impact on my Bible teaching for sure. Now, having already been in the country several times before you led your tour, you had seen many, many things that uh, were impressive to you, but you sent our staff back here in the States some pictures of a unique experience on your last day driving up from the southern tip of Israel up to Tel Aviv on your way to catch your flight home. Well, that's right. One of our guests who was sitting in the back seat actually captured some pictures I was watching over to the west. It was just sunset, and you couldn't really make out what was going on, but I saw some things in the sky. At first, I thought maybe they were parachutes. I thought maybe they were flares. And then what I realized, what they were plumes of smoke that were actually dispersing. And then I noticed that there were trails leading up to them. And I made the comment to those with us. I said, either this is the Iron Dome, in effect, which protects Israel from incoming rockets, or they're running a test. And as we got to the restaurant and I had a chance to look on the Internet, in fact, we were actually witnessing the Iron Dome not only in action, but actually protecting the residents of Israel from rockets that were being actually sent in to southern Israel from the Gaza Strip by the terrorist group Hamas. Now this leads me, David, then, to one of the things we want to emphasize to our listeners and potential guests on future tours with us to the land of the Bible, Israel in particular. And that is that overall safety of taking a tour with us to Israel, uh, which uh, to some could be a very big concern. Talk to us about that. Well, it's interesting. In my times to Israel, I have never felt a sense of danger one of the things that's a little bit maybe of an initial shock to the system of somebody first going to another country, particularly Israel, are the the places where you see armed guards carrying M-16s and submachine guns, and that's simply for the protection of all the residents of not only Israel, but also those who come to visit the land. Uh, there are hot spots, and they know where that is, and we have to understand that actually tourism is a lifeline, an economic lifeline for the nation, and so it's in their interest, not only in the existence of the country and protecting themselves from their neighbors and terrorist groups, but also for the protection of those who would come to visit, and this is very important to them. And, of course, we always are monitoring the situation and and avoid those dangerous areas, so we're always keeping the safety of 
our guests in mind. We want to make sure that it's uh, an enjoyable and a profitable visit, and no one actually feels that they're in danger. And to be honest, I've never felt that I was, even though the news reports would lead you to believe that it's a very dangerous place to be. You know, I have often said when I'm promoting the tours, especially out in the countryside in meetings, prophecy conferences, I say it is dangerous to go to Israel. It's very dangerous. But if we can get you through New York City, everything will be all right. And that's about the truth. We were just in New York City concluding our production for our upcoming DVD, The United States in Bible Prophecy. Judy and I stayed at the Marriott Hotel. Now that's right there where the World Trade Center Twin Towers were located. In fact, the South Tower did fall on the Marriott, basically destroyed it. It had been rebuilt, and at the 21st floor, we could look down on what happened there. And, you know, that did not stop people from traveling into New York City. That happened. That was a horrific, disastrous time, but it happened. So it can happen any place in the world, and we do take much into consideration. Our guests are a priority to us and their safety in the country. Now, both the team in the United States and Israel are constantly watching what is happening and what the situation is. And in this case, you had, in fact, while you were there in southern Israel, a last-minute change in your itinerary. So you just had to make adjustments. And what you did on the last couple of days was changed around, but you had a great time anyway. That's right. We did have a great time. We were supposed to leave the hotel on the next to last of our days in Israel and, and head over into Jordan to see the historic city of Petra, which we believe is where God is going to protect his people during the last three and a half years of the tribulation after the Antichrist declares himself to be God in the temple. And uh, again, supposed to leave the hotel at 7.50, at 7.20. I received a phone call from one of our local assistants in putting these together, and she said, there's been historic flooding, almost unprecedented flooding in Petra and in Jordan due to flash floods, sudden storms that had come up. And she said, uh, we just can't go that day. And I said, well, if, we, if things look like we can go tomorrow, give me a call and we'll see what happens. And so we readjusted our schedule. We did on a Sunday, what we would have done on Saturday, which was a schooner ride on the Red Sea for four hours, and we had lunch on the boat and even stopped and had a time for swimming. We had a chance to go by the place where we saw dolphins swimming, so that was a great time. Uh, on the next day, we adjusted our schedule and, and went to the incredible underwater observatory there on the Red Sea. Actually, we were all pretty tired, and so we were glad for a couple of hours rest in spite of the fact that we missed Patrick. So that's one of the advantages that we have. Wow. On that four-hour schooner ride there on the Red Sea, you can see Israel, you can see Egypt, you can see Saudi Arabia, you can see Jordan. What a adventure that is to go out on the Red Sea. And scuba diving is beautiful out there, one of the great coral reefs of all the world. David, we know that Israel is surrounded by countries and terrorist groups that threaten the destruction of the Jewish state of Israel. But ultimately, our trust and our security is only found in the Lord, correct? 
Well, that's right. And if we understand this, uh, the scriptures correctly, the attacks on Israel are actually not going to take place until after the rapture of the church. And God is currently keeping his promises, as he always does, to protect Israel. And not only that, our security on every day. We're only a heartbeat away from eternity, and our supposed security, even when we're driving down the highway and our car is going 60 and the other car is going 60, we're coming past each other at 120 miles an hour, and yet we trust the Lord to carry us through the next moment, through the next day, until it is his time to call us home to be with him. Oh, God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. David, a great report. I'm so glad you had a great time learning yourself, but also being able to teach our friends who came along on this Prophecy Today VIP tour. And I guess you're ready for another one soon, are you? Absolutely. (laughs) Whenever it can work out, I'm trying to work my schedule around, and uh, we'll see what happens, but I'm looking forward to the next trip as well. Amen. And the people have already said that they had a great time under your teaching and guiding through the land of the Bible. David, thank you so much. I'll talk to you next week. We'll have another issue to deal with. All right. Thanks so much, Jimmy. Great to be with you again. We're going to take a break. When I come back, I'm going to pick up my Bible. I'm going to look at all the current events that were reported on by our broadcast partners, and I'll give you a look at the book and how the two fit together, current events and biblical prophecy. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you ever wanted to visit Israel and trace the footsteps of Jesus? Hi, I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr., and along with VCY America, I'm excited to announce our upcoming trip March 13th through the 22nd, 2019. Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. We're going to look at Israel past, present, and future. The Bible will come alive as you see places such as the Shepherd's Fields, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time not only to visit the site, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today, 423-821-3635, to find out more about our VCY America Prophecy Today Israel trip, March 13th through the 22nd. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. 
Today on Prophecy Today Weekend, we had our broadcast partners come to this broadcast table with great reports, much focused on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict in the Gaza Strip. We'll get to more on that and a look at the book in a moment. But may I suggest that if you missed any of my conversations with my broadcast partners and we went all around the world with Ken Timmerman in southern France, we also talked to Dave Dolan and David James, David back from his trip and leading a tour in Israel, Winky Madad and Itamar Marcus. They were both in Israel, one in Jerusalem and one in Shiloh. You don't want to miss this international conversation that I have with my broadcast partners. It brings a lot of information to the table. If you want to listen to these conversations, go to prophecytoday.com, then shift over to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. There you can listen to all the conversations and be sure to tell a friend they need to hear these reports as well. Let me just review very quickly what our partners gave us. Ken Temmerman in southern France said Iran has opened up a war with Israel through the Gaza Strip. Iran working supplying and supporting both Islamic Jihad and Hamas as they attack the Jewish state of Israel. David Dolan gave us a Middle East news update telling us that the Israeli Defense Force has amassed troops along the Gaza border getting ready to defend themselves. They've also called up the reservists, which is an indication this thing at the Gaza border is intensifying. In fact, we talked with Winky Madad, a broadcast partner, who talked about the resignation of Avigdor Lieberman as defense minister and how that plays into the activities between the Israelis and the Palestinians there in the Gaza Strip. Edomar Marcus gave us a focus on what the Islamic Jihad and Hamas were thinking. They've joined together to destroy the Jewish state of Israel and how they have partnered together, supported and taken care of by Iran, developing a second front as far as the Israeli Defense Force is concerned, both in the north and in the south of Israel. John Rood gave us his European Union update. There's another region of the world. Macron, who is the president of France, is calling for an army, actually, to protect the European Union from Russia, China, and the United States. And I have a conversation with David James on his experience, a unique experience. He and his tour group witnessed the Iron Dome working as there were missiles and rockets fired out of the Gaza Strip towards the Jewish state of Israel. Well, those are the reviews of our broadcast partners. You need to hear what they had to say. It comes better into focus as we talk to you about a special army of the Israeli Defense Force who are now preparing for the Battle of Gog and Magog. May I tell you that's the war that all Jewish students of Bible prophecy consider when they're talking about war. We've been talking on this broadcast about the potential of a war on two fronts, actually, in the north with Hezbollah, sponsored by Iran, and in the south with Hamas there in the Gaza Strip, also sponsored by Iran. 
These two groups want to destroy the Jewish state of Israel, and that does not fit into the scenario found in Ezekiel chapter 38, Psalm 83, and Daniel chapter 11. Remember, there are a number of wars that happen throughout the history of Israel. Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, verses 6 and 7, that there would be wars and rumors of wars, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. May I remind you that there are a number of rabbis who specialize in Bible prophecy. Remember, the Bible is divided into the Torah, first five books of the Old Testament. That would be the law. That's the translation from Hebrew to English, the Torah. There is a historic section. You have the poetic section and the prophetic section. At the end of the Old Testament, there are 17 Old Testament prophets, major and minor prophets, that deal with the battles upcoming. The battle of Gog and Magog, Ezekiel 38, is basically overall talking about the wars in the Bible that Israel will be involved in. In fact, the rabbis teach there are three types of biblical wars that the Jews would be allowed to enter into. The first type would be to defend the state and the people of Israel. It was given to them by God, the ancient Jewish patriarchs, the prophets, the kings, all of that. This war would be the Israeli Defense Force defending the Jewish state of Israel. The second war would be wars in the region. For example, the war that Israel is having with the Syrian military as they go in and do airstrikes, as the Syrian military is transferring weaponry, which includes chemical weapons of mass destruction, into Hezbollah. So the second type of war would be a war in the region that would benefit the Jewish state of Israel. And the third war will be the war against Amalek. Remember Amalek, Genesis chapter 36 and verse 12, was the grandson of Esau. If you trace from Esau to Amalek and then over to Agag, king of the Amalekites, that's who Amalek became, the Amalekites, and from there to Haman in the book of Esther, who was an Amalekite, then you can go all the way to Herod the Great, another Edomite or a descendant of Esau. And that war, that third type of war that Israel can participate in, would be to wipe out the Amalekites. Oh, by the way, that's exactly what the book of Obadiah has to say. In Obadiah, verses 15 to 18, it says that the Amalekites, the Palestinian people of today, will be wiped out as if they had never been. God's word directs the Jewish nation as to how they can fight their battle the wars they're allowed to participate in, the war to protect their nation and their people, the war in the region that will be beneficial to them, and that last war to destroy Amalek, the Palestinian people of today, which is exactly what Bible prophecy calls for. Well, we see what's happening at the Gaza Strip as Hamas tries to wipe Israel off the face of the earth, which is absolute evidence. We're ready for that third type of war that the Israeli Defense Force can participate in. And that means that before all of this comes to pass, those prophecies fulfilled, the rapture of the church takes place. And that rapture actually could take place even today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until... 
Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.